<laughs> I'll look at you and speak. <laughs> there you go. Brandon Fletcher, how's it going, oh, bro? Good, bro. How are you? Good, I'm good. good. How are you? So uh, the reason I wanted to have you on, uh, you're my boy. So we yeah. uh, we work at the same airport, and I work as a flight instructor, and you were working there as a line guy, right? Yep. Um, and this is super cool. So a lot of things you'll read online, and a lot of people in the aviation industry, they're like, get around an airport. Like, see if you can go work at an FBO or go see if you can work on the line. Just get involved with the aviation thing. So I kind of want to start with that. Yeah. How many years have you been doing that? And what's it like being a line guy for all these jets? Yeah, so I, I started when I was, I want to say 14 or 15, probably 15. Uh, I was yeah, six years there at North American. I It was an internship at first, so I did it unpaid just because I wanted to be around aircraft and all that, and I loved it. Um, and, like, I would – it's, like, definitely given me so many connections that I never would have had without it. Um I came and like, especially like you build friendships there. Like example, you, uh, Tom, Neil, all those guys, you know, it's, yeah. a, it's a great atmosphere there. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Six years. I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's like probably my favorite, most favorite job I've had so far. And I mean, that's super cool. Cause you probably, you probably don't spend that many time, uh, that much time filling up helicopters besides us, the flight school. No, yeah. but there's not that many helicopters. <laughs> no, yeah, but there's so many jets that come in. Like, Oh yeah big jets oh, yeah. like I, I mean i i don't know anything about airplanes but mm-hmm. um so when just from the small experience that i've had w- we were like pretty busy this summer like oh, just yeah. jets lined up all the taxiways oh, yeah. and you guys are just like on the radios like fuel this jet up <laughs> get some fuel in it oh yeah <laughs> you guys are oh, like yeah. slammed but do these uh do these rich guys tip you good it really depends there's so you obviously you have people in any business you have people who like are constant they always come in and they tip you well um, you remember Kilo Tango, right? Yeah. He's on the solid hundreds every time. Like those are actually great. It's, it kind of depends on who it is. Like if they were born and like with nothing and like worked for everything they had, they understand what position you're in and they tend to tip very well. It's people that were kind of brought into the richer side that can be, uh, can be kind of rude. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So, what's a what's a common tip on like, uh, like on a, a line service? What, so what do you do? You like taxi them and then fuel them? What is that? What? It, park fuel customer service it's like yeah customer service remedy flies in um yeah it's all it is and yeah. how much do they give you like what's a good tip an average tip yeah. uh net jets pilots are great part of the reason i like their company so much because says they they're given tip money so it's pretty much every almost every time it's like a guaranteed five bucks really uh, yeah they're great yeah they're really good they 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 give their pilots money to make sure they're tip line guys and they're that's cool to. and that's um, net jets yeah net jets that's awesome um, yeah great company uh usually i mean it depends on who's on board. It really depends on who they're flying. It, I would say twenty bucks is a, is a normal tip. It's kind of sick. It, oh yeah, it's, it adds up fast. Yeah, you make a lot of money doing it. It's, well, and I mean, just like uh, as a helicopter pilot, just as an instructor there. I mean, on like any given like Thursday or Friday in the heat of summer. Oh, yeah. dude, we got jets lined up, lined up, lined yeah. up. Like it's hard to get any flight work done. So oh, yeah. especially for yeah, for you guys. Yeah. You can't even get out. And so the airport that we work at, like, I mean, I just remember a couple of weekends this summer, like, so not only do you have the flight school going hard because like all of our helicopters are flying, everyone, the weather's nice, it's warm, doors off, yep. it's sick flying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you've got we've got gliders here. So we've got <laughs> the the, the <laughs> aircraft that tows the gliders yeah. up. So we've got two or three gliders up at any given time. Yeah. Then you've got all the general aviation traffic oh yeah which is like just like the planes and guys that want to come in such a mess and then the jets yep 
it's like a shit show. It's such a mess. <laughs> I remember last summer there was probably I would say at least three to four go rounds that I saw just in my time working. And it's like, like I mean, Jets are on final, and Glider goes one four and lands, and without a radio, and there, there you go. Like, that's the thing. Crazy gliders. Well, not just gliders, but people just cut each other off in the pattern. Oh yeah, it's like, yeah, and people are people. Some people are just so like blatantly rude about it, like don't even care about any announcing and just come right in. It's like these people, like Jets are, they go around. That's money wasted. Like that's that's like money, thousands, thousands of dollars. Of dollars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they just spent going around. Yeah, yeah. So you spent, uh, what do you say, five or six years working on the line? Six years. Yeah. Okay. Years. And so that gave you like a really up close experience with the airplanes, right? Yep. Oh yeah. And okay. So how did you start getting into aviation and learning to fly and wanting to do that? So actually, so really. I actually never, I actually used to hate flying. It's funny to this. So I think it was my eighth grade. It was eighth grade year. Uh, so we usually go on like a summer vacation to Florida to visit family. And uh, my mom was like, yeah, we're going to have to fly. And I like refused like, like so much anxiety about it. Like I commercial. Not, yeah. Like even on a jet. And I, it's so, it's so stupid thinking about it. But I like had this like thought that maybe the, the floor would just collapse and we all die. Oh, like, nice. I, I, and I was really like, I believed it. Um, And like, basically she gave me like a sleeping medication and I just, kind of fell asleep on takeoff and like got to cruise i thought it was the coolest thing like i was obsessed with it after that and like you know on the vacation i looked up like videos of like small general aviation flying pilots um and like i i don't think i stopped watching videos every day after that and uh came back i uh you ever to argyle flight school uh no it used to be out of saratoga okay um and when i like first started to train they were kind of like de departing the area like not really at saratoga anymore um, so I, I struggled to find somebody around the area to do it. Um, you know, Dale, uh, Dale Easter cowboy no. cowboy. Yes. 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 Yeah. So he, uh, he was my first instructor ever. I was 15. Um, I had, I was so small. I had to sit in a pillow in the seat and I couldn't see over the top. Uh, and he was my first instructor. I did like, I would say eight hours with him. Um, really just, I mean, I got to like slow flight stalls, basic steep turns, stuff like that. Um, and then I, I kind of, uh, I kind of stopped for a bit doing that with school and sports, all that adds up and I couldn't really take it seriously as I wanted to. Plus I was also paying like out of pocket. So it wasn't like you have a loan and you can just fly whenever you want. Um, took a, I would say a year break started at Richmore. I did another like five flights there. And then I, and Richmore is a Richmore aviation. That's a flight school. Yeah. It's a flight school. It's Schenectady, uh, Kingston and Columbia County, okay. all upstate New York um, ish. Uh, I started there for, I would say six months again, I probably did five to six more hours and same thing. Like, um, just with school and everything, didn't have the time to, to really commit myself to it, how I should be. And I, with the amount of, of flying, I was flying once every two to three weeks. It's not, you know, like it's not yeah. enough to keep up in training. So I, I stopped again and then I was like, you know what, like after high school, I'm going to go to, uh, Schenectady, I'm going to re, uh, restart training and just really take it seriously and grind it all out. And that's that's how it happened. Like within two years, I would say, of actually consistently flying, I'm almost don't see fly. So, yeah, that, that's that's pretty much it, man. Yeah. So, but so prior to that one time that you were on the commercial flight, yeah. did you know you wanted to be a pilot, or was that flight where it's like it, it started to grow from there? You mean like uh, like after the flight that I want to be a pilot after? Yeah. So when you flew commercially and your mom gave you drugs or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I like I would never like I actually would rather have driven. Like I was like, we're driving. I'm not flying. Yeah. And everybody else was like, just go on the plane. You're being, you know what I mean? Uh, and so after like after that flight, I was like, I didn't really know enough about it like that. I actually could make that a career yet. 
And when I started like looking, I was like, oh, these people are doing this like left and right. You just had to find like, I found like the area and community of people that do this. And I just thought I was obsessed with it. It was awesome. Yeah. So cool. Like it's, it's not like a common thing. That was like what it was for me is like, you can actually separate yourself and like, I had a passion for it. So it's, that's it. Now, let me ask you this, because you're on the Chopper Talk podcast, yeah, yeah, what yeah. was your, did you have any understanding or awareness of helicopters during that time period or was it always just airplanes? I always like, I, I was around Saratoga, Saratoga airport my whole life. So I was, I've obviously seen the helicopters. Um, it was never, I had, I had a close friend in high school who trained with independent for independent for a while. Um, I just, it never, the interest wasn't the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was, it was, I have nothing against helicopters. Just uh, that's the route I took. Now, that's pretty much it. so now looking at it where you're at, like yeah. actually doing it. Yeah. Any desire? Uh, not unless the prices go down. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I, yeah. So uh, it's cost restrictive for you. Yeah. And for me, what I want to do in my career, like obviously, I mean, long term, as far as like how far you can travel and where, the things you do in airplanes, there's obviously some differences with helicopters. I like to like travel the country and, um, you know, see places like that are far, far away that airplanes go to. Now, let me ask so. you this because of that. One, one of the things that like actually drew me to helicopters is like, I want to be like a family man. I want to have a family and kids and I want to watch them grow up. And one of the girls I had a crush on in elementary school, yeah. like <laughs> shout out Jamie, uh, <laughs> she, her dad was uh, an airplane pilot yeah. uh, for w- whatever, one of the big airlines. And she was always talking about like how he was gone for like these big events, like birthdays and holidays and stuff. So have you considered that? Like, what is your perception of like the airline pilots that are gone traveling, but they're gone traveling? Yeah. So originally uh, what I wanted to do, I was set on it is since uh, yeah, eighth, ninth grade, I wanted to fly the triple seven for FedEx, um, fly the 14 hour flights across the world, like Honolulu to Memphis um, do an overnight, do the same thing. That's a crazy flight. It's crazy, yeah. Honolulu four, to Memphis. Yeah, you got two crews on board. Yeah, it's like yeah, fourteen to sixteen. Wait, hold on. Flights. Two crews. Yeah, talk to me about this. So they they had to swap out. Obviously, like you can't be flying fourteen hours straight. So I, I don't know what the regulations are, but I know they fly with two crews and they swap out like half the flight. The next crew swaps in. Just, and they got beds on there, huh? Yeah, and they sleep exactly. Um, and I was like, yeah, I want to do that. And in eighth, ninth grade, I'm not thinking about family. I'm not thinking about that kind of stuff. I just thought that'd be the coolest job. Like I get to go to Japan, like back to Memphis in one day. Like, um, and then obviously you grow up and you start to realize like, ah, oh, it's not really, you're gone almost the entire month. Um, and I know, I know one person who does it and not really home a lot. Um, doesn't really have a family life, which was his choice. Um, but that really wasn't for me. I was still, I was interested in aviation, but not to not have a life outside of it as well. Obviously you get it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that's why like I would probably stay away from that side and maybe something that's like, I know there's a lot of jobs that I do like week on week off two weeks, two weeks off, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so that's, a, that's a little bit more better. And definitely as you gain seniority, you've yeah. got more ability to choose your routes, choose your time away. Yeah. Um, the thing, the, the cool thing about those jobs in comparison to helicopters is some of those captains make a ton of money. Can you do, have you done research about it? Like, do you know some numbers? I, oh yeah. I'm uh, actually in, when I was in uh, Rich Moore's ground school for my private, um, she had, she had pilots every once in a while come in and kind of share their story to kind of get kids to see if maybe this is their path for them. This one, uh, he was a retired captain for Delta on the 767, I believe. Um, he retired making 450 grand a year and, and, and that was when he was flying every year 
now that he's not, even though he's not flying, he's still making 400 grand every year. What? In, in retirement money. Whoa. Like why? Like as like a pension or something? That's like, that, that was what his, I don't know what it was. His contract or whatever? His contract, I guess. So he was making 450 a year and now he's making four for the rest of his Dude, retirement. that's an insane amount of Crazy. money. But he was with them. I want to say, I'm not going to quote myself on this, but I want to say he was there since he was like low twenties yeah. all the way up until literally it's like 65, like until he couldn't fly anymore. Yeah. Um, so he did his time. Like, he, you know what I mean? Yeah. He, he worked for it. Like I respect, yeah. it's still an insane amount of money though. I can't imagine. I mean, that's like the high end of like doctor specialties, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, and I mean, okay, now this is getting like speculative, but that shit doesn't seem too hard. Like flying a seven, like, so I'm an instrument rated pilot and they do a lot of instrument and yes, it's a lot of risk carrying that many people on board. Yeah. But is it that hard? Um, you talk, you, what do you think about that? So I don't have an experience, but based off of what I've seen, like whatever I watch videos and I see these, it's, it's a lot of automation. However, it's what, from what I understand, what I've seen, it's a lot of what happens if the automation fails. Like, what do you, cause I mean, I know new aircraft that have auto land and features like that. Um, I don't even know the specifics, but it's what happens when those fail. And do you have the skill to still operate it if everything goes wrong? Because uh, you're still, you're monitoring an insane amount of avionics and autopilot systems. Uh, I, I came in so many systems, millions of parts on a, on a plane. So it, I think it's more so understanding like the hazards and the safety that are involved with that many people on such a large aircraft. I think that all, everything comes together one big picture i think and that's why it's you get paid so much yeah and in the time i mean like 14 hour flights like i mean he was probably wasn't doing that but i would upper five six hours on the 767 so that's probably why yeah and it's like you have to be well it's like he's spent a lot of time doing it and then yeah if if something goes wrong you got to be good mm-hmm. and that's like a lot of people's lives in your hands so yeah. like i get it but that's it, there's just part of my brain that makes it like you're sitting there watching screens. I know it's hard, but yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? No, I know exactly what you're saying. It's like I know I know what you do flying wise, and I I totally get it. It's hard. So talk to me about uh your private. Um, mm-hmm. what was it like? <clears throat> so you kind of did it intermittently, um, uh, at Saratoga, and then when you actually decided to commit to it, what was it like getting a private pilot's airplane license? So. Kind of going back to what I said before, how I started and that with Richmore, and then I stopped after about six months. I got to less than five or six. It was going good. Um, I was I was so scared of stalls. I don't know if you are familiar with what a stall oh, yeah. is. Yeah. Um, so it, it's kind of like I guess you compare it, it's like the auto rotation of mm-hmm. of, that, of helicopters. Um, I I had this like vision that like all oh, the aircraft stalling were falling out of the sky, and I hated everything about it. Um, so I literally like. I almost, I scared myself away from it and I stopped scheduling lessons and I was like, you know, I'll deal with this at a later time, like repression basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah. And then, so when I came back, like, I was like, All right, I'm going to conquer this. Like, this is what I want to do. Even if I have to suck it up for a few flights, like I'll get over it. And obviously now it's no big deal. Like you go, you get through it, but that was like the biggest obstacle for me. I realized like I got over that, like nothing else. Like it's still a challenge, but that was like my biggest, like, um, fear with the private everything else like i i enjoyed the cross-country training all the other maneuvers i was fine with landings uh it was, it was good i enjoyed private it was good so talk to me more about this stall like i want to know about because i mean i can talk to you about an auto rotation but yeah, yeah. um tell me about what assault how do you set it up how do you practice it how high are you what's the recovery so there's two different types so there's power on and power off 
those are like the main two um power off so that's that's what i was particularly scared of it was so you're basically simulating you're coming to land you're at a low air speed you're in the landing configuration so you have full flaps uh, your power is low uh, your car beats on um, and basically you're coming down and at a certain point when you're descending you simulate that you're you flare too early on landing and you are too low in airspeed and you exceed what's called a critical angle of attack and you stall and so the nose will drop and you'll lose some altitude and it was learning to kind of there's a sensation get lifted up in your seat a little bit and that's what i didn't like um so i was learning to kind of deal with that and know the procedure to climb back out do a go around um and that that was really it that's dude it. i'm sorry to interrupt you did you see that video of the stall at uh old bridge is that around here no old bridge new jersey when recently it was like a couple that. months ago airplane oh, dude yeah, yeah. let me show you this video i'll i'll uh pull it up on never seen i'll put it in the podcast and um this is dude insane video was it a small airplane yeah cessna okay so what we're looking at here is the channel called vasa aviation they've got a real i mean really great stuff here um <clears throat> But so there's this plane coming in on final uh, and it's a student pilot. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Student pilot. So, so he bounces. I don't know if this is the same guy. Yeah. He bounces, goes up really slow. Oh no. Stalls it. And stalls it right there. And it just pitches over. It's just a classic stall. So he must've done like a slam and go or something. Is that so, what they're called? Yeah. So it's it that's like porpoising or bouncing. Is yeah, it's what it's called. Yeah. Um comes down, comes down, hits, and then it looks like he's trying to go for a go around and pulls back. Yeah, he was uh, a student, you said. Yeah, yeah. So, student yeah, pilot. Right. So coming down right here, slams, hits, bounces. Look, bounce right there. He's trying to figure out what to do. And so he pulls back. I, yeah, I can I know 100 percent what he's thinking. And then he just right there yeah. and falls out of the sky. So, no, he survived. He was all good. I think the plane caught on fire or something. But, um, yeah, crazy, right? So I think what, what happened, and based off what I saw, I think what happened, so you bounced it. It wasn't even an aggressive bounce. Like, yeah. I've, I've actually, I've been in a plane that's been, that's done way worse than that. Yeah. All you got to do in that scenario is, like, he's probably power off. You add a little bit of power and just let it kind of glide, stay in ground effect, and then come back down and settle again. It wasn't too bad, but I think what he thought was, you know, he, he probably was like, oh, go around. And then he just probably pitched up way too fast, uh, didn't apply full power quick enough, and then he probably just stalled it right there. Yeah. That's probably it, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> what I, I think happened, but. So, so with it, okay, so with that stall, sorry, I don't know if I cut you off, but with that power off stall, yep. how do you set it up? How do you practice it? And how do you recover? So just at in the practice area, you go up to like three, what is it, cruise, like 3,000 feet. Um, you basically, you want to configure the airplane for landing because that's what you're simulating. So you'd pull car peat, power back, uh, like 1700 RPM. Uh, and once you're in the white arc and the airspeed, you introduce flaps, uh, increments of 10 all the way down to 30. And then uh, you're establishing a descent because obviously you're simulating a landing that you're on final. Uh, so you establish a descent for about a hundred feet or so. And then once you do that, you pull back, you're maintaining your, uh, your heading and uh, you just pull the power idle and just pitch the nose up slightly. So it's the angle of attacks high enough to the point where you're not gonna be able to maintain flight. And then the stall warning horn will come on. And then once you get the stall, that nose will drop. And when it drops and you feel that break of the stall, then you recover, which would be like the go around procedure. So then you go full power, car repeat, bring that nose up, get a positive rate of climb. Um, and then you'd slowly uh, reduce those flaps that we can get higher airspeed. But the away. first thing you want to do is pitch 
pitch right, pitch fair speed. Yeah, because think about if you're simulating a landing with a power off stall, the first, you don't want to keep going toward the ground. So yeah. you want to stop that descent and you want to get full power, bring that nose up because you're simulating as if you were on short final. And you're but stalling. if you're stalling, you're pulling back, decreasing your airspeed, like in a landing conf- configuration, yep. then your stall warning horn goes off and like you do enter that stall, you feel that nose drop. Do you push forward on the yoke? When? After it stalls or before? After it stalls. After it stalls, so it'll the nose is going to want to fall because it, it the plane's breaking the stall. It will recover itself if you're coordinated. I see. Yeah. So what you do is you kind of you let it fall, but at the same time, if you just keep letting it go and you push forward, that's when like you're going to lose a good amount of altitude. Yeah. You want to avoid that. Right. So that's yeah, I mean, he probably had full power and just pitched up way too high, and it's one of the things where he too low to the ground to recover. So. So besides uh, now, talk to me about this. I've seen all these YouTube videos about. These like full fledged spin stalls or spins? Is, spins, yes. Yeah, is that yeah. different than a stall? So it's just an aggravated assault. Um, uh, it's a gre- it's a aggravated stall which just results in auto rotation. That's all it is. So it's basically like, it's a stall. You're uncoordinated, and the result of that is you end up um, one wing is more stalled than the other. It's kind of hard to do without like a model yeah. plane, but one air one wing is more stalled than the other, causing that rotation downwards. Okay. Um, and basically it'll stay in that attitude unless you have a corrective action, which is why you have like the uh, the spin recovery procedure, which is what, um, so it would be, if you don't have power idle already, power idle, uh, ailerons neutral, and then you're just going to let that, uh, other pressure kind of release a little bit, let the airs, uh, the air flow come back over the wings and then you'll just climb out of it and the opposite rudder of the way it's, uh, it's so if you're spinning right, left rudder. Yes. Yep. So opposite rudder and spin. Okay. Yeah. So opposite. And then, so the video I saw, they were like spinning to their, to the left or something. Have you seen the crazy one? Where they're like, I've seen so many of them. Yeah, okay. I'm sure I've seen it, yeah. But they're like spinning really crazy. So they put the hands on their dash, yeah. and then opposite rudder, and then like let it build and then pull aft. Yeah, so as soon as you go into the spin, power idle immediately because if, you, if you're going straight down, you're going down at like 3,000 feet a minute. Um, you obviously don't want the airspeed to get up too high to where it could cause damage. So power idle and then immediately opposite rudder of the turn or the spin, and then uh, ailerons neutral and just let it the nose come down, regain airflow, and then climb out of it. Dude, did you see this video three weeks ago about that Air China crash? Was that the yellow? No, the DHL plane. I maybe yeah, maybe like, it was. Wait, it was yellow. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I just saw it yesterday, and it dropped out of the sky. I don't know what happened, but I just saw the landing video. I saw like it twisted and then the no, 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 no. So oh, that's a good one. That one was on the video, but no, dude. There's this here, Tyler. Let me uh pull this up too. This video is insane. Dude, I haven't seen these. Unless is it the DHL one you're talking about? No, yeah. the DH the DHL one where it like slid off the runway. Yeah, and then like the whole back end by the tail just cracked in half. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The airplane split in half. Do you no. call that banana split? <laughs> is that what they're calling <laughs> it? Yeah, <laughs> like banana split. Air China crash. Um, I think it was Air China. Video shows. Yeah, dude. Oh my god, this video is insane. Oh, look, our our friends. I might have seen it. So. Wait, wait, was that a jet? Dude, this is like... <laughs> no way. This is like a seven... No way. Dude, it nosedived. 132 people dead. How long ago was this? Smoke from the plane wreckage could be seen billowing uh, above mountains in the south South China or whatever. China Eastern flight was carrying at least 132 passengers when it crashed in the something province. Flight records indicate that a six-year-old plane made a near vertical nosedive before impact. That is that's straight. Dude, down. it was nose diving. 
Do they, do you know what happened or did they announce what happened? Everybody no, but some that. of the speculation I've seen is that it was like uh, a hydraulic mechanical failure. Okay. Because I, I let me of. see if I can see. Uh, I wonder what type of plane it was. Um, it was one of the, it's one of these Boeing. I, I don't want to say the wrong name, but it was either Boeing or Airbus, one of the big ones. One of them, yeah. And what is the Max Eight? Who is who makes that? Boeing. Boeing. Yeah, Boeing. Seven thirty seven Max. Seven thirty seven Max Eight. Dude, I think it was one of those, and they keep having this reoccurring problem. Yeah, and there was one yeah. like two weeks ago where they nosedived tw- twice, but the pilots were able to get it back. Yeah. But they dropped like three thousand feet. Yeah. In like a second. All of the so there's a documentary. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, it's with the seven thirty seven, and I, I don't I don't want to quote what the what the exact part or issue was on this. I I watched it, and I, it's like something in the horizontal stabilizer. I want to say something in the rearwards of the plane where. If it's like a it's a condition that Boeing knew about and they didn't correct it. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and to save money for pilot training. Yeah. And that's I don't know how many crashes there were. Way too many. Yeah. Um, and yeah, basically pilots were, knew they're flying something that has an issue and it wasn't really being resolved until it was too late. Obviously, that's that's one of the craziest things ever. That like Boeing is just maximizing profits, and I I I think it's it's Boeing, right? Boeing. Yep. That was the one, at least in the documentary. Uh, yeah. Well, the seven thirty seven Max is a Boeing aircraft, okay. so all of it's Boeing. Yeah, yeah none of it is. So that's crazy that they would allow that to happen. Yep. That just to maximize profits over that, especially like, I mean, you would expect this, and I'm sure there was issues like in the nineteen hundreds, like when this is when aviation was still somewhat new, but now it's like safety is such a priority with everything. Like everything is around safety, and like. You would think that this stuff wouldn't happen like within these last few years, and still, that's like one of the worst ever. Yeah, that's yeah. That like that that's got to be like, oh, I I don't get how they how how they get away with it. So you did your private, yeah. uh, and then talk to me about commercial. What was that like? Uh, commercial was more so so it, for Richmore it goes. You do your private, then you get your instrument, and then you get your commercial after that. Um, so it was fun because for all of instrument, obviously you're wearing a hood. So I hadn't been able to look outside and enjoy flying in a long time. Um, so you start off stage, it's built up in three stages, four, five, six. Um, is it a 141 program? 141. Yep. Okay. Uh, so stage four is all cross country time. So you're just, it's the longest stage. You're basically flying. Everything's across country. Um, there's certain requirements as far as like how many nautical miles away you have to be for some of them. Um, it was so much fun. Like my roommates would, uh, we would all like rent out our own. Uh, 152 and we'd all fly to the same airport for cross country it was some of the most fun flying i've ever done to this day um that just meet up get out not even like do anything like just get out and talk for a minute and then get in the airplane go to the next airport it was so much fun um i really yeah i really enjoyed stage four uh just it's basically time building uh you just do cross countries get to see different areas you've never been to um stage five was you get your complex endorsement so they have a 172 rg uh you do your training it's like I don't know how many hours I think it is. It's like 12 hours you get. You get a complex endorsement. What is complex? So it's a retractable landing gear and a constant speed prop. Versus what? Versus the regular aircraft, uh, like 152s have like fixed, fixed props and uh, just fixed tricycle landing gears that don't retract. Right. So you learn the systems on that, um, provided you show that you have the ground knowledge and you fly right and you pass the stage five check, then you get your complex. Um, and then stage six is like, check ride prep so that's all the commercial maneuvers uh learn the regs and all that what's the benefit to the variable pitch prop what so does that do you're basically with a prop 
the props in airfoil, obviously. Yeah. So you're changing the bite angle with the uh, constant prop. So you're basically getting more efficiency. You can save on fuel um, and you, you basically adjust it for different times of flight um, or different phases. Like That's take, for the variable pitch prop, right? Con- yeah, it's called constant speed prop, but yeah, it changes oh. pitch. Yeah. Okay, constant speed constant variable speed. Pr- pitch. Yeah, so you can change the pitch of it with a constant speed prop. And how do you adjust the pitch of it? It's a little blue knob. It looks like the, I don't know what the mixture looks like in a helicopter. Yeah. It's a red knob. Uh, the prop is a blue knob. So it's, it's right next oh. to it. Um, you got throttle, mixture, and then your prop. Um, and you just you basically just twist out like you would the mixture, same thing. Interesting. Yeah. So, well, and here's the thing, like with the Robinson platform, we never lean or we never lean our fuel. Wait, we, seriously? We you don't uh, lean? No. no way. Yeah, dude, we're, we're only full rich always. Are you serious? Constantly. Like I've never leaned my mixture once. It's your gallons per hour. Uh, we average nine to 11-ish. That's actually like pretty high, like. It's super high. That's actually like bad. Yeah, (laughs) it's bad. It is bad. (laughs) That's terrible. Yeah, (laughs) nine gallons an hour. Yeah. What What do you guys average? Because you're um even even not uh like even if we go out when you're doing maneuvers you're always mixture rich um just because like yeah you don't there's no need to lean if you're just going out and you're constantly adjusting throttle and stuff like that so even six gallons per hour like mixture rich for an hour for an hour flight time that's only six gallons. What training did you do? Your private and commercial and mostly aircraft. Yeah. Uh, all 152. Okay. Um, I was light enough to do the 152. I could have done the 172, but you yeah. save a lot of money. So, so the 152, what engine do you have in that? Uh, it's a Lycoming 108 horsepower four cylinder engine. Um, do you know the name of it? It's a Lycoming O235. Oh, the 235. Yeah. What yeah. do you have in yours? We have an O320. Okay. What's the difference? Or an O360 J2A. Um, I think it's just cylinder size. You still have 108 horse? No, we've got uh, 100. And, so the Beta 2 has 180 D-rated to 160, like 124 and 131. Oh, that's higher than I thought. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. A, a little bit more. But, yeah, we, we average about. The thing is, we don't have a set fuel burn rate. Yeah. There's not, I don't think there's not a published fuel burn rate. So, do you have a published fuel burn rate? Is that, I actually never heard that term. Is that just what like you're expected to burn? Yeah. Much? So like nine gallons per hour, six gallons per hour, but yeah. is that published? I believe so. I've always been told like if, if you're going out, it's usually six gallons per hour. Yeah. Um, so that's what, yeah, that's like all the hearsay stuff is yeah. like ours is nine gallons per hour. How much fuel can you carry in a 152? Uh, 24 and a half usable, 26 total. So. Okay. So that's, so what you get like just shy of three hours, uh, four hours is the, is the rule of thumb. Oh, uh, you know what? Because yeah. you get more flight time. Yeah. Because you're burning less per hour. Exactly. What's yours? Uh, so we have 16.9 plus 9.4. It's like 25-ish something. I'm, I'm 25 total. Yeah. So let's say uh, it's like 26.3 or something. Okay. 26.3 divided by nine gives you just shy of three hours. Three hours. Okay, cool. So, but that's interesting. But so y- you do all of your training in, well, so in, what's the procedure for how you rich, uh, how you lean a mixture? Like I, I have no clue. So I just realized you don't, you don't lean at all. Never. So, <laughs> so in some aircraft have EGTs. Um, so that's measuring obviously your cylinder temperatures. Um, so we don't have. What's EGT stuff? Exhaust gas temperature. Okay. Or something like that. Yeah. yeah I, I think I'm so. pretty sure. Um, so what happens is you, uh, you twist it out. Um, and basically it just goes out nice and slow and you're looking in our aircraft, you look at the RPM and it'll slowly rise, 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 rise. And when this, um, as soon as it starts to like, it'll kind of like, buff it a little bit and then start to go down you twist in like two three times 
that's like your lean of peak. So that you'd be giving obviously the engine the least amount of uh, gas per air ratio. Yeah. So that's how you lean it. You just look for that peak. As soon as it starts to drop a little bit, just give it three twists in. Um, and that's, that's pretty much, it's pretty simple. Yeah. Wow, dude, that yeah. is such a different, I mean, I even really the, did not know that helicopter pilots don't, at least you don't yeah. rich make sure. I, or no, mixture. no, there's not a helicopter that I don't think there's not a helicopter that I know of where you lean it. That's you crazy. just, you just fly full rich. Yeah. And that's probably why we, uh, a lot of helicopters and a lot of Robinson helicopters, just from what I know, they get like um, a lot of carbon buildup in the cylinders. Oh, yeah. Just because we're just flying with like full fuel. You got full fouled spark plugs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you definitely do. Exactly. We have the same issues though. Like mechanics yeah. at Richmore, they, they they always give it. They always give us a bunch of it. Yeah. It's, you guys gotta be leaning your mixture on taxi and all that. So. Do you lean it on taxi? I honestly, throughout all my training up until I started, even midway through my CFI, like I didn't think it was a big deal. And uh, my instructor, who's actually the chief. Um, over at uh, Richmore, he uh, he really emphasized like make sure you're leaning this like it's good for the engine, it's good for the spark plug. So I was like, all right, like it's not hard. Just pull it three or four times afterwards, yeah. and it, you can you can save the spark plugs. It's better running engine, so yeah. like, why not? Is so the the complex rating is that variable pitch? Is it significant? Does it make a big difference? Uh yes. Um, it's also paired. So it's I that's the one seventy two RG. So it's it's significantly bigger than the one fifty two. Um. The, uh, it has a you can carry much more load, uh, more fuel. It's got a 180 horsepower engine in it. Um, so that combined with the retractable landing gear and the prop, it's like it's it's a totally different airplane. Really? Yeah, it, it's really fun. To, yeah, because all the drag you decrease by not having the landing gear down, you'd be surprised. Like we did a cross country with no winds aloft, and we we're going like 145 across the ground. So your V knee just shoots up. Oh yeah, it's like I don't even, I want to say it's like 164. Wow, or something like that. Wow, it's up there. Yeah. Our V and E is 102 in the in a Robinson R22. It's not even our maneuvering speed. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah 104. 104 is your maneuvering at, speed. And Max goes way in the one the 52. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, that's and that's one of the pros of just having it like an airplane is just you yeah. can just go way further. It's a little different. What's the so what's the highest you've been flying? It like me flying? Yeah. Uh nine five. Dude. Nine five. I know, yeah, no, you don't like it. <laughs> I know you don't like it. Yeah, I don't. I remember, what was it? You don't even like one of 3,000, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I think the highest I've been in a helicopter is like six to 7,000 feet, which is fucked up in a helicopter. But yeah, like anything. What are you doing up there? <laughs> There's times where it makes sense. And just okay. to show the student. Okay. That's a terrible reason, honestly. To but, show the student? Yeah, just this is what 6,000 feet feels like. Um, but the, it's very rare. Even even four thousand feet, it's like makes me uncomfortable. But nine five, what type of plane were you in? Uh one seventy two. It was my instrument long cross country. Okay. Um, and why we, were you up there? We only planned for seven five, um, but we were at, we were in constant IMC, uh, and we were kind of getting some ice. So we just asked ADC if we could climb two thousand feet more, and we were out of it and on top. So that's the only reason. Dude, so you you have your instrument rating, right? Yeah. You got that. Yeah. What was what was your experience? like getting your instrument and what's it like actually being in the clouds because i've never been you've never been in clouds nah dude i'm a i'm a cf double i and you've never uh, been in clouds no because because our robinson <laughs> helicopters are ifr capable but not ifr rated okay. so we've got all the instruments i can do all the maneuvers holds approaches whatever and we're in the hood but we don't have don't you have this will make me sound really stupid as a CFWI, but I think you have to, in a helicopter, you have to have a stability augmentation system, like kind of like an autopilot type system. Also, you need an anti-ice system. 
you need pedo heat and we don't have any of that so we cannot fly in the clouds yeah, legally understood yeah so which is crazy like i've got like almost a thousand hours as a sea of double eye never yeah, been in the clouds so the talk to me about what ifr was like and what it's actually like being in the clouds so first thing i'll say is instrument rating was or at least like do, beginning the training and going through it um definitely very humbling obviously like I'm sure a lot of people, you might be able to relate this too, is you get out of private and you're like, oh, I'm a rated pilot. Like, I can do anything. I'm a pilot. Yeah, you think you're on top of the world. You think you know everything. It's just completely untrue. Uh, I know, like, I remember the first couple of flights, even the first stages, you basically do basic maneuvers under the hood. And I was all over it. I, like, it was, it was embarrassing. Like, I was like, what am I doing? This is crazy. It, granted, you have to switch to 172. So it was kind of a learning curve. Um, but it was very humbling at first. Uh, I, didn't have the best experience instructor wise um for many reasons like i could i, mean, I could dive in and like really deep that um just not a great learning environment at all um which is part of the reason i'm so motivated to be a good cfi is because i've been through the worst with like just how bad instructors can get uh so kind of doing the opposite of that is kind of my goal now yeah, I mean, I, I, exactly. i've been through the whole thing with you it's yeah yeah it's like you date a girl that's terrible so you're like i'm gonna go date the exact opposite yeah, i'm gonna never go back to that again <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly yeah man but so so it, it humbled you keep going on that um yeah so really like you learn like there's and i mean there's so many regulations uh everything in instrument is so precise like being right on the glide slope uh right on the localizer really learning how to do a hold that was one hold one, entries yeah, hold entries oh god like yeah. I, I i enjoy it now it's very like such a nerdy thing to say but like they are fun to do i love uh, it yeah like, love like once, once you really understand it it's fun but then like when you're first starting it's like what do i get myself into yeah like, yeah it was it was it was very overwhelming uh especially on top of the instructor situation i had um which i did switch over like about halfway through um but after that, like I enjoyed the end of it, like the cross countries actually doing a flight and applying the, uh, the ILS approaches that you learned back at home at Albany and doing it at Port, Portsmouth. Is that yeah. what you call it? Yeah, doing yeah. out there like in Maine and really like doing other approaches you're not used to and knowing how to do them. It was just great. It was fun. Isn't it I fun? It. It's awesome. Yeah, it's good. So what's it? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I agree. Like when you first started, it's like, oh my God, I cannot do this. Yeah. Like. I'm not smart enough to do this. I, I just can't. It makes no sense. Yep. Everything is confusing. Yep. And then like now that you've got perspective, it's like, I love it. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just cool. Mm -hmm. And it's it, it's 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 a whole different world than VFR. Like IFR and VFR, different worlds of aviation. Completely. Yeah. You know, 100%. So what, what's it like actually being in the clouds? What what was your experience first time? My first time punching in. So the first time, so in training flights, I had kind of skimmed a layer, but my instructor was like, oh, make sure, like, I was under the hood. So he was like, all right, descend a little bit. We're kind of getting into clouds. First time was on the instrument cross country that I went to 9.5. So it was kind of a bunch of firsts in one flight. Um, basically, it was my new instructor in instrument. Uh, he was like, yeah, today uh, we're going to get through some layers so we might get some good IMC time. And I was like, I was so excited because, like, I've never been in the clouds. And it was one of those days where it was probably overcast three. Uh, the layer was like 2,000 feet. So it went up to about five. Um, and I remember like I had the hood on and he's like, all right, you can take it off because we're in the clouds. So I didn't really <laughs> see us punch, but I look out and there is nothing, man. I'm telling you like the color of these shades, like it's like very dark. Um, when you're in the middle of it, the sun doesn't peek through all at first. So it's really like you get disoriented very quick. I remember like even though the hood, you have some sort of reference to the ground. You always do. Yeah. Um, but there's like nothing. So I remember like, he was like, oh, make sure on that, make sure on that course. I was starting to drift a little bit. Um, but it was so cool. And then as we got toward the top, like, start to get brighter and brighter and brighter of course like a thousand feet and then you just pop out out of nowhere and it is the most beautiful thing ever like i would do, I, I could do it all day you pop out 
blue sky everywhere, white clouds everywhere. It's like you're floating on top. It's awesome. So crazy. So, it's so much fun. Yeah, it's ridiculously cool. I mean, and the like that's kind of like a religious experience, you know? Yeah. Because oh, yeah. uh, the as you were describing that, it's like that's kind of what like death is like. You're going towards the light. <laughs> it's what it feels like. It's like, and then you're in heaven. Yeah, like it's it gets really bright, like almost where you're squinting, and then it's like boom, it's blue, like out of nowhere, and then like you kind of. It's like I can't even it's so hard to explain. You have to like when you're there and you look out, like it's just so pretty. It's just like white puffy clouds all around you and then like blue sky with nothing else. It's like, yeah, it's awesome. It's cool. Dude, I'm so yeah. I'm so jealous. So I I'm gonna be starting uh fixed wing training pretty soon. So yeah, I'll have to call you up and absolutely ask about it. Now talk to me about this instructor. Um, why was your private instructor pretty good or the couple that you private, went private uh one of my favorite, if not my favorite flight instructor I've ever had. Um, just very, uh, he's so, he was our age. So it was one of those things where you can relate pretty well. You know how it is. Like yeah. it, when you have somebody who's close to your age, you can relate and it's very easy to teach people like that. Um, so for me, that was my, uh, yeah, I had a great private instructor instrument. Um, just uh, not, not, cur- I would say just not courteous overall, very like, I not really wanted to be there. Um, just attitudes that you would never want very intimidating attitudes that kind of make you like want to run and hide. Like I, I've, I've definitely, we talked about this at the airport yeah. a thousand times, but I remember like getting out of bed, like I had a flight at 10 and I would stay in my bed to like nine 30. And I was, like, I do not want to get out of bed. I do not want to go to this lesson. Cause I knew like, I'm going to go there. I'm going to try my best. I'm going to get screamed at for not knowing. I'm in stage two. I'm just learning approaches and I'm getting screamed at cause I'm not in the localizer. It's like, it's very like, I mean, it's just like, uh, it's demotivating. Like you don't want to be there at all. Um, if I didn't love it, I probably wouldn't be where I am today. I probably would have ran. Like I know a lot of other people did with him. Um, wow. Yeah, that's pretty much Yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much the extent of it. Dude, that's so insane yeah. because that's, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to blame blames, but no, it, yeah, yeah, it's, it's like as an employer, you would, you would not want to put your students through that. So why Never. keep someone on staff? But it, we, we won't say names. No, Dude, that's so, not. I, now I had an experience with an instructor that was not great. And, yep. but I was never yelled at, just made to feel like a freaking moron. Yeah, like yeah. I just felt like he just made me feel so stupid. Like mm-hmm. yeah, and with everyone, oh. but he actually yelled at you. Yelled. Same thing. It makes you feel like like you're like you should know it, even though you have no clue. Like there's no reason for you to know it. Like I was learning Demi arcs. Yeah. Um, and just the way I was taught was very like. He made it seem like oh, it's the easiest thing in the world. Like which they are, but like if you don't know what you're talking about, it's not nothing's easy. It's like Chinese. Yeah. So like he's like, oh, we're arcing to the south, and I'm like, what do you do? I can can I go left or right? And he's like. You just do what I tell you. It, and then if you don't, like, it's just, uh, it was chaotic. Very, uh, like, I almost like just want to let go of the controls and like just fly back. Um, there was actually one flight. It was one of my last flights with him. He was seeing if I was ready for stage one. And I, uh, I, I didn't hear him properly at where to go left or right for the DMR, which way to go. Um, and I, I don't know which way I went with. I went the wrong way. Uh, he was like, oh, turn us back around. We're going back. Uh, you're not even close to ready. And I was like, it was one of those things where it was very obvious that like he there was issues um didn't want to be there didn't didn't care to try and help uh and it's just like it's everything especially like starting my cfi training going through and uh reading the foi like i remember reading i'm like how can you do the exact opposite of everything that's in these books like yeah how like it's just like praise the student when needed like like provide adequate instruction like all the responsibilities you have 
and you're gonna like just like scream over the over the dumbest things i mean yeah i'm not gonna say names he would vape in the cockpit like in the, wow. in the aircraft yeah, smoking right next to me i'm like what are you doing yeah i never understood that i'm like this is a c of double i vaping in a plane we're on the run he's like uh don't apply full power yet and he, he would just take a hit he's like all right now i'm ready <laughs> what is, are you kidding me like my he, my roommate had him for a couple check rides and i remember he he came back and he's like yeah he, he told me that he couldn't start till he has coffee so like he would chug off and be like now i'm ready like it was very yeah Dude. yeah so was it was he like building time to go into the airlines or something or was he, he used to be in the airlines went back to instructing he's no longer at richmore now I, I think he's doing like some other gig on the yeah. side or something like that but well, i wonder why he went from the airlines back to instructing i have no clue yeah, okay. i'm not really involved in that but yeah uh dude what a terrible dude yeah but honestly like when i when i got my uh new instructor uh for the end of it just like I, I actually like I forgot what a good instructor was like because probably was great. Um, but after so many months of not doing that, you kind of forget like what a good instructor really is about. It was all like the first flight. I was like, wow, like I'm not getting yelled at. Like, this is awesome. Like, it's <laughs> all, yeah, it's just it, it, it is so silly, but it really like the little things add up. And uh, you obviously can relate to a bunch of it. Dude, yeah. my I my instructor. So this is where I'm kind of conflicted now that I've got so much time of dual given actually being an instructor but my instructor was he was an asshole but like so it was like my second flight ever at Loa where i went to school yep. and uh we he he in the ground the day before he's like okay go home and memorize these downwind checks so on your downwind you're supposed to run through these checks to like check all that your lights are out that your tachometers match um that all of your gauges are in the green we've got enough fuel our spot is clear we've made our landing clearance where's other traffic these set of things you're supposed to do on the downwind prior to landing so he told me that but he had also assigned me a bunch of other homework so i went home and i did like studying but i didn't for some reason i skipped i I skipped or i just didn't remember to remember to learn the downwind checks yeah so we walk out to the aircraft like i had pre-flighted he walks out and checks and he's like all right you ready to go and i'm like yep so i hop in and then he's like getting ready and to hop in on the other seat and he's like all right what are your downwind checks and i was like oh my god i was like uh i, I don't know i'm sorry i i wrote them down but I, I don't know and he's like okay pack up your shit we're done we're not flying and i was like i was crushed oh devastated dude, I, yeah. you know it's like i'm so excited to fly I'm I'm overwhelmed. Let like I don't even know how the helicopter works, let alone try to fly. And like I get it, because what did I do? I went and fucking learned my downwind checks. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> yeah, yeah, it worked. You learned to be like I'm learning this. There's nothing that's gonna stop. Yeah, yeah it, it actually, it's it's good for you in a way. It's like, good. Yeah. It's good in a way, but it's like, I guess it's like parenting, you know, in some sense. It should it shouldn't be, but it is. Yeah, <laughs> it is low key. It is, it, it is kind of it is kind of like parenting. But uh, same thing happened. That, that literally like gives me goosebumps because the same thing happened. Like yeah, obviously you check notice before you do approach just to uh-huh. make sure the approach is good. Right. And he's like, I, he, and I had issues with not writing down approach notes in the past. Um, and he, he like I went out to the ramp to pre-flight. He finished with another student. He's walking in. He's like, you check your notes? And I was like, uh, I'm gonna go check them inside right after I finish the pre-flight. And so he's like, Oh, good, you better. Others were not flying. And I was like, it just ah, it's something about it. I don't know. Yeah. Like, yeah. You just know that. Uh, it's just you know and now that we're uh we'll, we'll get to it right now but yeah. as we're like getting ready to be 
you're getting ready to be an instructor and I'm an instructor. It's like you learn about these FOIs, fundamentals of instruction. How do you and what the FOIs are? You can uh, add to this, but they're like how to be a good teacher and how to teach and how students learn. So you learn both things. How do they pick up stuff and how do you deliver that and package it? Because you've got the sender, the message and the receiver. And how do you as the sender deliver the message in a way that the student can receive it? Mm -hmm. And then it's like. Yelling and being an asshole makes it really hard for the receiver to understand the I package. Never, I never understood. And you know, that's what I mean. Like I thought about that way. I'm like, it literally says, do not yell, cuss, uh, be unprofessional toward that. Cause they're just going to mimic you. It's like, no, I just didn't want to be around you at yeah. all. Like it, it does, especially with kids who aren't, maybe like they're, they're not even sure if this is what they want. Like that's the easiest way to just kick them out and be like, see you later, scare them away. Yeah. And like, as aviators, we love being in the sky. We love aviation. Exactly. And we want to be good stewards of it, you know, like be like, yes, this is, is, look at how great this can be. And imagine when you get like, when you get into an aircraft with like someone that's excited, like I love, I love intro flights, like bringing someone in and like, like the helicopter can do this and yeah, look at how yeah. cool this is. And yeah. like, we're 10 feet off the ground. Yeah, yeah. And it's like being a good steward of what we do mm-hmm. is really important. So with that, this, uh, you're telling me before we came in here this week, you've got your CFI checker. Yeah, dude, we'll, we'll keep, we'll keep the exact day on the low. <laughs> I know that I think I watched an episode. You were like, I don't tell people when my check are. Oh, are. absolutely. Yeah, not. So I, yeah, I'm very, I'm very similar. Only the closest people around me know when my stuff is, but yeah, yeah it's, it's coming up shortly. So, uh, you've got, you've got a check ride coming up. Um, talk to me about the preparation, getting to your CFI check ride and what your thoughts are right now about it. So I, I started, I finished my September 10th last year in 2021 was the, uh, when I finished commercial. I pretty much immediately after instrument, I took a break in between commercial to kind of let myself like kind of breathe a little bit. I was very eager to get started with the CFI and I, my, my, uh, my school, I don't, Mono Law provided CFI training, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Richmond doesn't really have a 141 for CFIs or CFII. So it's one of those things where like, all right, I know I got to find somebody who will provide the training because I know it's what I want to do. Do they have a 61? 61. Okay. Yes. So, it, but it's not, it's not advertised. So I, I was, um, I knew the chief at Richmond very well. Um, and I, I called him and I discussed, uh, that I was interested in becoming an instructor for Richmond. Um, I talked to a bunch of other people in the area as well. Uh, but I ended up doing it with him. Great guy, tons of experience. So he has a military background as well. Um, went through it with him basically it's one of those things. I don't know how they structure it in Mauna Loa, but, uh, he, the first day he's like, all right, show up. You're going to be teaching me turns around a point and, uh, we're going to get you checked out on the right seat. Make sure you can make that transition. Um, I know it's the opposite for helicopters. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, you exactly. make the transition. Uh, yeah. Obviously, your your right hand's on the yoke now, left's on the throttle, so you get used to that for a couple of flights. Um, but every flight, you know, we're teaching a new maneuver each time. I probably sucked at teaching the first couple of times. I I remember I had like a red face, like I'm I'm teaching the chief of the flight school. Like I know he knows what I'm talking about, so I gotta sound as professional as I can. But you get used to it, and you you basically he's making you like get used to teaching throughout the entire time. I finished. Oh, I was he saw me out for the check ride. Um, somewhere, I want to say beginning of January is when he expected to be, or he expected to be at the end of January. Never had a DPE actually in the area that was capable of doing those check rides. And that's a pilot examiner. Yeah. DPE, yeah. Pilot examiner, um, for the CFI, which is obviously it's a higher level of examining authority. Um, so basically I was kind of left at a standstill, almost, almost staying proficient without a end goal in sight, which kind of sucked because I'm very like. I, I, everybody's motivated when they have a goal in sight or when they know it's coming. 
So I had to basically stay proficient, proficient, keep soloing, keep my ground knowledge up with really no idea when a check guard could be. It could be any time. And luckily, if, uh, we found one. Uh, he's out in Rome. Uh, and then we got a date on the board about, I would say, a month ago. And uh, yeah, it's, it's come up shortly. So the press has been good. That's that's really interesting why it's so hard for you guys to find pilot examiners. I feel like fixed wing pilot examiners are uh, around. They're abundant. Is that yeah. not how it is? So they are. Um, it's just, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. So the one I've had for my private, I had the same DP for my private instrument commercial. He, uh, he has an office at Richmore. Um, he's well, he's well known and a great guy. Um, he's done so much for me. I appreciate everything he's ever done. Um, but he doesn't have, I guess, I don't want to say it's a rating, the capability to yeah. do the CFI check rides. You have to go through like a panel and get approved to do that type of check ride. Um, I get it because obviously you're certifying people to go teach other people how to fly. So I get it. Um, but there, there just wasn't a lot of those in the area. So it was we kind of had to reach out and expand out like to a wider range of uh, area to see if we could find one. And we happened to find one that's out in the yeah, Utica Rome area. So I'm just going to um, end up flying out there and taking it there. So, yeah. So actually going through CFI training, what did you find it difficult? I'd say the biggest learning curve was like you, you know, same thing. And then a commercial, you're like, oh, now I'm a commercial pilot. Like I, I know so much more. But at the end of the day, it's like now you have to not only be more fine-tuned with the knowledge you have, but teach it to others, which that's like, I mean, you know, it's a, that's a whole other skill on itself, being able to communicate, adjust your um, your teaching styles to different kids, uh, and really yeah, just being able to read that forward and teaching somebody else how to fly, which is not an easy thing to do. Yeah. Um, I, I know it's going to be hard at first. I mean, I, there's I'm sure that you learn throughout the whole time you're instructing. Um, but yeah, I would say teaching and really learning and learning how to kind of pass that knowledge on to other people has been the hardest part. So one of the things that I took away from it is, yeah. So actually studying for CFI, it's really important because you learn a lot, like yep. the ground lessons that you've developed, yeah. the flight lessons, how to actually talk and explain things. So yeah, that, that's, that's hard. But then what was really interesting for me was the different people I'm teaching. So I think Richmore is a little bit different than how independent works, but at independent, I would have the 30 year old single mother and then yeah. the 70 year old student. And then I've got the 16 year old kid who's really eager. Yeah. And then I've got the college age student. And then I've got like an engineer who's 45. And then I've got someone that's terrified of heights. So you've got all these different genders, different ages, like from one flight, I would go from like a 70 year old man to like a 21 year old college female. Big range. And, it's a very different background, very different talking styles. Like how I talk with you, I'm like, what's up, bro? Like, that's we're going to go out. Yeah. Like, just eyes outside, go ahead and pick it up. We're light on it. But then, like, with someone that's older, I have to be, uh, I have to change my demeanor yep. because, and how do they perceive me and how do they respect me and what words can I say to them that they're going to understand? Yep. So, the actual demographics of teaching is really, it's really interesting and it's really hard um, yep. to, to get different people to pick up the same piece of information and like if i tell you okay we're going to make an approach so eyes outside there's your angle go ahead and start to lower the collective aft cyclic even though it makes sense like the technicalities of how you're supposed to do an approach same for you like yeah. flaps 10 flaps 20 flaps yeah. 30. it all makes sense but like one person may not pick that up in one ear out the other mm -hmm. then someone else is just going to get it instantly and like how do you teach the same thing to four different people yep. and it's like that's what being a flight instructor is. Mm -hmm. It's hard. 
it's a it's a good skill to have yeah, yeah it's a great skill to have. really good yeah exactly um and being a flight instructor i think is super valuable mm-hmm. um so talk to me a little bit about the industry um so if you get your cfi what what's your plan and where do you want to go so i i pretty much right now i'm very certain i'll be instructing at richmore for uh at least i mean however long it takes to get my hours um once i get to 1500 i honestly i don't, I, don't, I can't predict my goal is to just build up the time and fly for net jets um i want to fly corporate obviously from the airport i got to see the ins and outs of what they get to do um they fly to all sorts of airports small large um so you get like a vast majority of different experiences flying with like corporate companies like that can uh, i yeah I, i'm sorry to interrupt oh, you're good but so you need 1500 pic or total uh it's total time so 1500 hours uh that's like that's like the magic number for airplanes okay is it similar for yeah okay. yeah it's similar number. so um yeah so you uh you gotta get that time and then uh that's like the time where i mean i'm sure now that with the pallet charge and everything some companies are being more lenient with that um but that's typically the number you aim for before you go off to uh a different company now can can you do that all hypothetically in like a 152 uh you can. or do they want like multi-engine or so, yeah that turbine there's a the thing so i was right after my c5 i want to get my multi probably over the summer i'm going to go out for a weekend course or whatever and get it done uh a lot of companies especially netjets has actually pretty high uh standards for getting hired uh they want a, a good amount of multi-time um they want to obviously they want the high amount of uh, overall total time uh, the cross country time, PSC, uh, I forget their exact numbers. I couldn't quote mm-hmm. it, but, uh, yeah, the standards are pretty high, which is why I'm going to have to find some sort of gig with a, a multi and gain time doing that way. Um, I'm actually lucky enough to know, uh, my mom works with somebody who her husband works for, uh, NetJets. Um, and I met with him one time, I believe just, the, I was trying to get my foot in the door, see what it's like. Um, still wasn't even a private pilot yet, but, uh, I kind of took away what he said and what the company's like, uh, like we talked about earlier, uh, how you work like two weeks on, two weeks off, depending on how much you're home. Um, and it, I liked, uh, their pilots are great. I met them at Saratoga. Very, uh, very nice corridor. They love their job. And like, you always want to be surrounded by people who enjoy what they do. Um, so is, that was like a big eye opening thing for me. Is NetJets a stepping stone to the airlines or do some people just chill there? And that's their goal. Funny enough. So with, uh, with private charter increasing, some of the airline pilots that were in the airlines flying the buses are now flying limos. So now they want to go. Is that back what they call it? Limos. Yeah. Buses flying, versus flying limos. limos. Yeah, buses versus limos. They they went to the airlines and like I talked to so many of them and a, a lot of them have very similar things to say. They're like, um, you know, you're getting paid just as much now, if not more, doing corporate than than you're with the airlines. You get a better living quality, at least for some of them. Um, and I like that really was eye opening because you get to fly. I mean. They're not the largest aircraft, but they're pretty cool. Like they have some yeah. pretty awesome capabilities and they, yeah, they look really cool. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to say no, cause I don't know, you know, you don't know what opportunity is going to come up. My goal would be to fly for net jets and kind of work up an aircraft size over time to maybe a larger one. Uh, like the challengers, the globals are cool. The Gulf streams, um, that would be awesome. So, so you need 1500 PIC at the cross country time but they want you to multi as well. Multi. Yeah. So could you get your multi-engine instructor and teach that way? I don't know what I'm going to, I actually honestly don't really have, I'm going to get my multi um, and kind of just put my foot in the door in different places. um, See, just see what the opportunities are out there. Um, I'm just going to instruct build time in the meantime. That's kind of be kind of be the main hustle, obviously Uh, just building the time. And if I can maybe find like 
maybe a side gig flying a King Air or, you know, something, something just to build that time on the side. Um, maybe doing a trip every once in a while. That would be kind of cool. Yeah. Um, I got, I would say at least two years of instructing yeah. before I'll be there. So, I mean, I, I really can't predict what, what will come up, but that's kind of the idea of what I want to do. So with helicopters, this, this also kind of confused me. Very similar minimums. So a th- 500 hours opens up some doors. Yep. 1,000 opens up more. 15 opens up a lot. And 2,000 opens up pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. So, but the thing is, I've always thought like, how can airplane stuff and helicopter stuff have the same minimums, but you guys build time so much more rapidly, I feel like. Because our flights are an hour or less, usually training flights. Yeah. But how long are your training flights? So it, it depends on what you're doing. So like typically, if I want to practice maneuvers, it'll be an hour. Um, okay. But I don't, I don't know how far you go from the airport to do maneuvers is most of it on airport. Oh, yeah. So, Everything. So I, I'm going to say that's probably that's I mean, you definitely get a lot done. Well, let's just say like for, for mine, like you depart from Schenectady, you, you can get almost, I mean, you can get to Fulton County, do all your maneuvers on the way, do four or five laps in the pattern there and come back and may not be an hour. So you can, you can go a further distance and get a lot more done, which I think is why uh, you build the time so much faster in airplanes, especially with the cross countries. Cause I know what counts as a cross country and helicopter for distance is not the same. Yeah. Right? Isn't it like it's, 25? it's 25 for us. So it's, it's 50 for us. So okay. that's another reason why I think it's just, it's going to be a longer flight. Yeah. Um, because, yeah. well, but are CFIs limited to those eight hours? Uh, a day? Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. That's all CFIs. Yeah. Yeah. All CFIs. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> um, so uh, what was the scariest thing that's ever happened to you in an airplane? The scariest thing that's ever happened. Has there ever uh, been a moment where it's like, oh, that almost went bad? That almost went bad, like not close to crash or anything. Yeah. Um, I would say, so funny, the same instrument cross country that 9-5, punch in the clouds. Uh, we flew to Portsmouth. It was really windy that day. Um, took off like gusting 20, which wasn't too bad, but uh, in Maine, it was upper 30s. Uh, so we landed in like, I would say it was like 15 gusting 35, 36. Whoa. Um, which is, I was still an instrument pilot. So it was one of those things where it was, I, w- I was on my toes. I haven't really been anything like that. Um we were getting thrown around on landing and all that um, ballooned like crazy. Cause it like, hit a gust, get flown up in the air. Um, that was fine. It was taking off the amount. I've never been in wind shear, anything worse. Um, God, I, we were like head hit the ceiling four or five times uh, airspeed plus or minus 15, 20 knots in a 172. Like we took off. He's like, hold that nose down. Cause we want to get the airspeed. We took off at like 90 which is typically that's like 30 knots over we normally take off. And I was like holding that nose down because it wanted to fly with that wind. As soon as I let go, it just flew into the air. I mean, airspeed needle was like going up and down, up and down. And I was like, it was, it was scary for me. Cause I was like, Oh, I don't know what's going on right now. I've never been in a situation like this, but that's like the, if I had to say like the scariest thing, that's probably it. Uh, no, that makes sense. So on a takeoff or a landing, if you know, it's really windy um, and there's wind shear, is it higher airspeed? Um, it depends on where it hits you. So like, if you get like a, like a hit from a headwind, then yeah, it'll bump up 10, 15 knots. Um, but do you want like, to keep a higher airspeed? Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause if you, what if like you say it shears to a tailwind and now you lose 15 knots, if you're at 60, well now you could be close to stalling, Yeah, which is dangerous. So that's why it was like, keep that nose down, um, rotated like 85, 90 knots. Um, and as soon as, I mean, we just, I mean, we flew into the air because yeah. that thing was like, Wanted to fly so bad. <laughs> 2,000 foot per minute you know, climb, right? <laughs> yeah, it was, that was definitely, definitely very sketchy. Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> what was, uh, do you have a moment or an experience in the airplane where it's like, just like a euphoric, 
oh my god this is the best thing ever moment where it was like everything in life made sense um i would say the last thing i did in my commercial check ride um that for me was like i worked all summer for that like I would literally bring stuff. You probably see. I would bring uh, flashcards and sit on the fuel truck and fill up the tanks and just go through flashcards. Um, being able to, and I was on prep for a powerlifting meet at the time too. So being able to do that, uh, work as much as I did and complete it, kind of all added up to it. So it was. Have you ever heard of the power off one eighty? Yeah, you power might, off one eighty. Okay. Do you have the similar maneuver? Yeah, okay. yeah, we do. So, so it's the same thing. Got to hit your point plus or minus two hundred feet. Um, and that's like for the commercial check ride, at least for airplanes, that's like the make it break it like if you don't hit the point or at least if you don't go around if you know you're gonna be short that's it yeah so it was the last thing we did um it was actually really windy the day we did we went to albany and he was like you know it's up to you the winds are gusting like 26 so if you want to do the length another day i'm totally fine with that and i was like uh yeah let's plan on doing that and then uh we took off went in the practice area like near uh sakandaga mm-hmm. and uh did all maneuvers and then came back in connected you like died down to like 14 knots and I was still under the impression that we were going to move the flight to another day. And uh, my examiner was like, um, let me, let me see a soft field take uh, landing. I was like, okay. Just didn't say anything. Did it. Went around. All right, let me see a short field landing. And we did it. Hit the point I needed to. Went around. I knew the last thing was coming. Like, All right. Power 180. Show me. And then I, I remember coming around and it was really, really windy aloft. So do you set up in like a downwind for a runway? Downwind. So he wanted the thousand footers as okay. the point. Yeah. So you cut you cut everything and configure establish glide once you're a beam the thousands. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So I, I configured and he's like, show me the power off. And I knew I was like, if I do this, that's it. Like I passed. Um, and I remember it was very windy aloft. And I immediately turned in. I didn't use any flaps at all. Um, and I just barely like I barely made the point where like it was iffy as I was gonna make it. And I just I held it off as best as I could and I hit the thousand and I was like, I knew I passed, but I, I didn't I was trying so hard not to say anything. And he's like, uh, all right, that'll do. And uh, then we got, got back. Uh, and then he's like, he looked at me, shook my hand. He's like, congratulations. Yeah. That, was, uh, that was like, that. I can't even, yeah, you know, you know, that, you yeah. know what it is. That was great. Yeah. Best moment I think I've had in flying so far. Yeah. yeah. Like right when you pass a check ride, I remember my instructor looked at me and he's like, congratulations. You're the newest helicopter pilot in the world. It's awesome. And it was like, just like, I can feel it right now. Just like this, <laughs> this <laughs> waterfall of like, yeah it's like just it's euphoric hey because you think about how much hours like it's on even like forget flight hours and like show up to the airport like all the stuff you have to put in outside of that like it's countless amount of hours and like when you're finally like he's like yeah like you're done basically like that's it you got what you wanted it's it's on it can't replace that yeah like it's great there's like there's not a better feeling in the world Mm -hmm. um oh dude i love passing check rides like it's the best it's the best, it's the best yeah. i i hope you get that feeling in the next couple of weeks yeah, yeah, yeah what was your favorite check ride that you passed <laughs> my favorite check ride that i passed best feeling one, I so say. private was cool because it was like i'm a pilot yeah 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 but i knew i, I love this example but like i knew the mountain was steep like i'm right here and i just cr- climb this little hill and it's like yeah yeah, 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 yeah. and it's like oh fuck <laughs> like you look at the top and it's like i knew i was so much scope but private was cool private. um instrument was cool see if i see if double i was cool too i thought instrument stuff was actually pretty easy mm-hmm. commercial was super easy because commercial is like private but just a little bit more blown off private is what people yeah, say yeah exactly yeah. definitely the hardest was cfi yeah, um the hardest super long ground like three or four hour ground 1.8 flight and you're just so mentally exhausted there's so much stuff but i failed my cfi check ride um the cfi initial yeah 
Yeah, I found my initial CFI on engine failures. Um, hmm. I, w- I won't get into it, but yeah, I mean, yeah. it just, I failed it, but like it kind of made sense why I failed it. Yeah. And then I went back. Um, but actually, failing that check ride was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Really? Here, I'll tell it real quick. Yeah. So we practice engine failures. And what we do is like, well, set up 70 knots, straight and level. And then in our left hand with the collective, uh, that's where our throttle is. So we'll go engine failure in three, two, one, chop the throttle, lower the collective, right pedal. So we, this was my CFI's check ride. So he was going to be the student, practicing student, and I was yeah. going to be the instructor. So we set it up, we practice it, and then he does it and he like messes it up. Like he's like the student that's messing it up. So he messes it up and then I take control. So I'm like, I have controls. I get us configured in. I'm like, yeah, I did it. Like, that's it. Like I got us in the glide. I fixed it. I did everything I was supposed to do. So, and then he, he looks at me and he's like, all right, Devin, what did I mess up? Like give, give me as the student a critique because one of the biggest things about being an instructor is giving a good effective critique. So I was like, all right, so you entered fine. Your eyes were outside. That was good. But then um, you locked up on the throttle and you nose dove and you did this wrong, but here's what you could have done better. And he's like, what else? And I was like, uh, I don't know. And then he's like, now, Devin, tell me what else I messed up. And I was like, I don't know. Can you give me a second? So then, like, I made a radio call and, I, and it, like, it felt, it felt like an eternity oh, waiting. Man. And then he, and then, like, he's like, Devin, tell me what else I messed up. And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, well, unfortunately, we're going to have to discontinue the check ride at this point and come back. And I was like, fuck. So we yeah. get down on the ground. I, I went through and did the rest of the maneuvers. And he's like, so what I messed up was I was not, I was super far out of trim. So the nose is supposed to stay straight, but he was like, he kicked it out of trim. So not coordinated. Is that yeah. How you say yeah, it? exactly. Same thing. So like the ball wasn't yep. in the center. So we were, he was out of trim. And for some reason I didn't see it or I wasn't able to verbalize it to him. And like, that's important because I missed like one of the most, one of the biggest things, like you have to keep the nose pointed into the wind. Yeah. And then I was like crushed. I was like, that's such a stupid thing. Like, like, why did I fail on that? And why did I tell him that? But then, like, I thought about it. It's like, how am I going to be a good instructor when I can't even, like, pick out these obvious things? And yeah, it was like, that. oh, shit, he's kind of right. Like, like he probably could have passed me and it would have been fine. But it's like, he made it super clear. Like, you have to be able to, like, pick out these things and notice it and be and give an effective critique. Mm-hmm. So I learned way more from failing it. I bet now looking at students and watching them do that kind of stuff, I bet you're always looking at that. Yeah. That's on your mind. Yeah. 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 Like all the failing a check ride for like a good like that was like a really justifiable reason mm-hmm. um i don't remember what your question was but that's my answer to it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah answered it. <laughs> um the, the other thing that you talked about um just like passing a check ride that's really euphoric and really nice the other thing that's really nice is like on a july afternoon eight o'clock eight thirty, the sun's setting and you're just out of the airport yeah being at an airport on like a july evening it, that's heaven you know, it does. I remember even working like I was happy to be there fueling planes. Yeah. Like, there's nothing like it. Like, it's just an open space. Barely any people are around except like the people that l- love it the exact same way. Yeah. And it's like you don't find that there's not a lot of places where it's it's like only it's secluded to those people. Yeah. It's like it's such a good environment. It's, it's warm. And, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. you know, those sound of those not like crickets, but like those like the buzz in the air and like it's just warm and you yeah. have to like slap a mosquito out of your face yeah it's yeah. like this is heaven yeah I, I 
and bro, I really appreciate spending yeah, the last dude, summer with you. It's been great. It yeah, was it was, was awesome. such a good time. It was great. Hanging out at an airport. How old are you? Uh 20. I turned 21 in, on May 5th. So yeah. Oh, you got a birthday, yeah, yeah, birthday coming up. Yeah, thank you, man. Thank <laughs> so and it, it's fun being like uh a a new young generation of pilots, you yeah. know. Oh yeah. Um, and having instructors that are our own age is cool too. Like, yeah. not that there's anything wrong, but if you learn from someone your own age, you can just communicate at a different level. Absolutely. Um, which is fun. Brandon, thank you for coming on. Yeah, dude. thank you, man. It's been an honor. It yeah, is it's been uh, great to come on. Yeah. It's awesome. I wish you luck with your check ride, and I wish you luck uh, down the road. Thank you, man. Yeah, you too with that uh, new job opportunity. Thank you, bro. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate it. Take uh, care. Yep.